Feelings Full Call-In 90 Day Fiancé, podcast where two friends recap a TV show suggested by a stranger on the internet. Please join us as we consume, digest, and regurgitate the Learning Channel's 90 Day Fiancé. Hi, love. Hi, love. We are here today to talk about Season 8, Episode 8 of the Learning Channel's 90 Day Fiancé. It's called, I have to say it like Natalie because it's her line, Unsure and insecure. I will never not laugh at you prefacing it as the Learning Channel's 90 Day Fiance, just because it's it's the truth. But shade is the truth, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's too rich. We're learning. Oh boy, what we're learning. They should just call it the Cautionary Channel. Or my title, False Promises, Shitty Secrets. Oh, shitty secrets. So we get our previously on Barrage, where Yara tells her nose job friend that she's feeling pregnant. Ron and Betty are yelling about how they want their slaves. (laughs) They're not getting them. Brandon says... Julia is my dream. After Ron, they showed that shot of Ron up in the hayloft with like a rusty abandoned tricycle yelling down to Brandon. Would you really want to give all this up? Look what we've built for you. Don't you want your trikey? No, girl. Fucking bizarre. What does he want? He just wants everything to happen for him and for him to not have to do anything ever. I guess so. I I think he wants to be on vacation forever. Yeah. I I understand that. I get that, I suppose. He said in another episode, what he wants is for everybody to just tell him what to do and quit yelling at him. Ah, gross. Anyway. You guys, quit yelling at me. You're not yelling at me. I don't know. I don't want to make decisions. It's hard. Stephanie is yelling about how she spent 1300 a month on her 27-year-old Belizean fiancé and his family. They flash back to Andrew and Amira, just kind of their lame storyline, and I will never cease to be amazed at the sheer amount and volume of Amira's hair. I know. She's too gorgeous for everyone, quite frankly. When we get into her thing, I have a new person in her life to rip into, so we'll get into that. Well, it better not be Hamdi, because I think he's on point. Get ready. Okay. Uh, We get Mike and Natalie in their stupid fight where she was yelling at him about how he's low class and how her IQ is an astounding 110 points, and that she's been to a shit ton of museums and he hasn't, and then Natalie is crying her contour off. That's our previously on. Do you feel caught up to speed? I do. I'm ready. Ready to get into it? Yeah. Well, the first thing we see is hula hoops, so you know where we're going. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Not even knowing. I was just like, crazy town? And it's like, yes! Well, you're not wrong. It's October of 2020, and the Belizean government has finally decided to get over this whole coronavirus thing. So she's throwing thongs in a suitcase, thongs and watches and glow-in-the-dark condoms. I hate it when a worldwide pandemic gets in the way of my privilege. She starts showing off all the stuff that she's bought for Ryan that she's taking to him. Bathing suits, shirts, watches, Adidas slides. And she got him a dozen of each item, it sounds like. Bear in mind, this is after... Like, didn't the last episode literally end with a, like, a argument about, like, I don't need you to buy me all this shit? Yeah. And then she's buying him all this shit because he's like a, he's like a paper doll to her. But she gets to dress up 
Yeah, I wrote, is he her Barbie doll? Because she's like, oh, and this is going to look so good on him. He really likes these shirts. And now we're going to match when we're swimming. When she dresses him. Oh, my Lord. That's. This was kind of a gnarly episode. And I think next week's is going to be even gnarlier. So she has a feeling that Ryan might propose. So she's got her, her mother's ring. I just love it. It's like she's going there with the ring for him to propose. It's yeah. just like Darcy wishes, you know? Uh, oh, if only I had a ring to foist upon my lovers. Darcy should be this proactive. Darcy blows. <laughs> oh, God. It's like, oh, I think he's going to propose, so I better bring a ring. Yeah. Okay. She begins her travels, and we get some more empty airport footage because it's October 2020. Is it really October? Yeah. God, and it's so strange to later watch Yara walk into a pharmacy for a pregnancy test and no one's wearing masks. Because that's probably 2019. That's 2014. We're, we're all over the map on this show. That happened in 1996 and they're just splicing it together. It's so weird because it's like the last time we saw Stephanie, basically it seemed like he was done with her. She was threatening him and he was like, bring it. There's a reason that she wanted to go down there and do everything in person, I think. So yeah, theirs is a love that just doesn't translate through cell phone. If only Diane Warren could write a song about it, you know? You know, you can do a lot of things on Zoom, but you can't get dicked down four times a night for six nights in a row. I think she really needs that, um, the impact of that Shutterfly face mask being seen by the actual person who's depicted on it, you know? Oh, only, But only momentarily, because she not only pulls her, the, the sign on the door says masks required, she pulls her down immediately. And then the interesting thing is in the preview, you can hear her say, pull your mask down, but they edit it out during the actual show. So it's huh. like, yeah, and he pulls his mask down, and they start making out. It's just, Ugh. and I don't know if you saw, there's kind of a preview of him before they get to him. Did you see his Michelle Visage nails? No, God damn it. Creepy creep him, creep him. He has long ass fingernails. And I'm sorry, on a man, on a cis man, long fingernails are a no, 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 no. Oh, God, no. All right, so let's go back to Squim and hang out with Mike and Natalie, where Natalie is coming as close to admitting that she was wrong as Natalie possibly can by saying that she needs to be more soft and have more soft woman ways with Michael. She says, I think I was overreacting. Mm-hmm. God, we should play like a drinking game where she said, I feel like she said that at least five times. Yeah. And she never learns. No. Like, she just shits the bed and walks away. She doesn't change those sheets. I think that's what's really frustrating me about her. She keeps stepping in her own shit and then being mad that there's shit on her shoe. Yeah. I was watching this and thinking, she's so unself-aware. She just has no idea how she comes off. Which is clear from the fucking bonkers makeup. In those talking head segments, I know that it was probably all filmed in one day, and that was the look that she chose for that day, but oi, oi, oi. It's so funny how she's all into her IQ and being high class, but then it's like, you behave like a five-year-old. And you don't need to contour when you have phone structure like that. Yeah. I did write that um, Mike is one haircut away from being total bear bait. So she talks about how, sometimes I want to run away. And it's like, yeah, so does Mike, I think. This is the scene where she's anticipating the Trish. Yes. She's preparing her body for Trish. 
I just love how upset she is that Mike talks to his mother and tells her things. I think she'd much prefer to be married to somebody with resentments and an inability to communicate like her. That's abuser behavior. Oh, totally. Wanting to isolate him from anyone he might be able to talk to about how fucking crazy she is and get context. And then she says this gem. Either I'm married or either I'm right. I prefer to be married. What the fuck is that? I don't know. Oh, it's called compromise. When she finds out that like Mike has definitely talked to Trish about what you'd probably talk to your parent about, the fact that, you know, your your Ukrainian fiancé threw the ring back at you. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh, you've got to be responsible for your actions now, doo-doo in the pants time. But yeah, her whole thing is that she knows that Trish knows her son well enough that she's going to walk into that house and know right away that shit's not right. And she doesn't want Trish to clock the vibe. So again, it's not like, oh, I feel bad that I was a shithead. I feel bad that his mom's going to come in and smell the stench of my failure as a human organism. I'm really done with her freaking out over the dictionary definitions of everything. Well, good timing. Cause yes, I mean, that was the next note is that she asks Mike what his mom is like. And he basically just says she's the saltiest salt of the earth that there is and that she's tough and she's smart, but she's a little hard headed. And then Natalie asks him what that means. So he looks it up on his phone. And one of the things I thought this was a weird definition of this term. But one of the things it says is that you're not sentimental and right away, right away. Oh, but if if she's not sentimental, then I will not get along with her. And she just latches onto that and is just right away like, oh, we're not going to get along. Well, that's what she does. Root beer is beer. And I'm, I'm not eating that. I'm not drinking this. Are you insane? That's what she does. She's an incredibly frustrating human being. I don't think there's a lot of Natalie fans out there. (laughs) Really? I feel like they're primarily using Mike and Natalie for the promo for the show. I feel like somebody has to be into her. She's pretty and blonde. I guess TV loves a pretty asshole. (laughs) Put that on my tombstone. (laughs) I think, too, one of the things that grosses me out about Natalie is there's something sort of sociopathic about how every interaction has to involve a power struggle. Mm-hmm. You can't just interact with someone and be on their level. She comes into a situation and she immediately has to do an assessment. Are they above my level? Are they below my level? They'll be treated accordingly. So she's really intimidated by Mike's mom, Trish, because as she says, she is empowered. Yeah, very strange. But you know what? Would you fuck with Trish? No, I would not. I also come from a much different place. It's like when you're meeting your significant other's parents for the first time, assessing it in terms of like some sort of Machiavellian power structure. Honey, I don't know. It's a lot. She's a lot. We still haven't met Trish because we've got to go to uh, Julia's sexual Green Acres nightmare farm. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know if it's that sexual. Julia, it's like, I just want to write down everything she says because it just... (laughs) cracks me up so she's got 70 days to go and she says i stay movie like every day repeat same so she's basically saying it's like groundhog day and she's like i dirty i smell i hate it and you know i guess i just have a big julia boner because she she does make it cute i do like watching her just do stuff feed those weird goats, call her dad. So she calls Igor, her dad, who seems great. And she tells him, if I stay here, I will lose my mind. I agree with everything she says. I applaud her wherewithal. I just hope she continues to follow through 
because she does seem strong-willed and she does seem like she's able to communicate and her all i wrote about her dad is dad is us us is dad because i feel like her father sees everything that we see and has the same take on it just watching her there with dirt on her face and you know it's just tough that creepy ass fucking family is gaslighting their asses off they are gaslighting her so hard so i think what we see in this scene with her calling her dad is that she's getting validation that it's like no you are not crazy you do deserve to be treated better he is being a total wiener so that's what she gets from igor she goes through again that he told her that they might have to stay with his parents for like a half a second. So he just completely blew smoke up her ass and got her here on false pretenses. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like she was even like trying to go for clarification. And she says, him not say me day, him not say me month, him just say soon. And so she's starting to realize that she got conned. Yeah, he totally sucks. Sucks so hard. We see this a lot. People make a, you know, like I said, false promises, shitty secrets. People make a lot of promises and you get there. And what do you get? Avalon exchange. It's not even false. Like he straight up lied to her. He knew that if he told her the truth about living on the farm, that she probably wouldn't want to do it. So he lied to her, just like he lied to her about the bedroom thing and everything else. Oh, totally. Barf. Speaking of vomiting, let's go see Yara. She's going to go to a store where, yeah, it's clearly pretty either late 2019 or early 2020 because we're in no mask New Orleans and she's going to get a pregnancy test. So when she had her Albanian miscarriage, the doc- her doctor, some doctor told her that it would be hard for her to get pregnant again. I know so many people who have gotten pregnant very easily after being told by a doctor it'd be hard to get pregnant again because people seem to almost take that as like, oh, cool, cool, cool. So I don't have to use any kind of birth control. It's like, just don't tell people this. She's fertile myrtle. Apparently her eggs really like Jovi's sperm. Yes, it's. she says, I'm scary if I am pregnant. It's not a good time for a baby. She had just sent Jovi off on his thing, yelling at him about how she didn't want a baby. So she's like, oh shit, this is going to be weird. How can I born your kids? Stop using birth control? That's a good way to born his kids. There's so many different kinds of birth control. Get into it. So many different kinds. Isn't there Yaz? Remember Yaz? I I love Yaz. (laughs) I love a Nuva ring. Shoot, I'm going upstairs at Eric's to get my birth control. Oh, honey, with your Nuva ring light. (laughs) Smoothing out. Yes. The Learning Channel camera people are literally like, you can hear her urinating. They've got a close-up on their door handle, and we are listening to everything that's going on in that bathroom. And it was so creepy. It is. I think even the the notion of, I mean, call me a prude, that's like a pee-pee stick. Don't show that. Yeah, waving it all around. Yeah, it's just kind of, that's probably me just being misogynist and stupid, but it's just kind of like, it's kind of gross, right? No, you did urinate on that. Yeah, it is weird. I yeah. mean, even mine, I put it in a Ziploc baggie before I started flinging it at people. Like a ninja? <laughs> yeah, flick, flick. Splash, splash. Uh, it's Prego Pete. It's got extra spicy hormones. I, that second line was real faint, but I guess if it's there, it's there. She doesn't know what she'll do alone with a kid. I don't know. Ask one of the millions of single mothers in the world. I love how she just acts like that can't possibly be done. You cannot ever be alone with your own child. It's not something that any mother has ever experienced. Yeah. Don't all the Kardashians have kids? She should be thrilled. Yeah, those Kardashians just have them slithering out of them all the time. <laughs> just plopping onto the floor. Ooh. Kardashians. Slithering. 
All right, so let's go to the airport with Amira where she's clip-clopping around in those Lucite heels and that black mini dress. I'm going to guess that she, like, changed into that when she got to the airport for TV. Okay, so to our listeners... I told Lo beforehand that the notes I took on this episode were especially vitriolic and that I would need to make amendments before I was willing to say certain things in this podcast. But with Andrew, all bets are off. Are you ready? Andrew's free game. What a fucking no-dick bozo asshole. What a man-boy idiot. His stupid-ass whale flesh and that ice cream spoon. Oh, you should be here sharing this ice cream, you asshole. I'm looking at the families on the beach, and I'm thinking of starting a family. Oh, fuck off. The thing is, you clocked him before I did. I thought he might actually be decent, but you knew beforehand, like, this guy is no good. And then he delivered. But, I mean, that's kind of par for the course on this show. Even more than the other people on this show, wow. This is next level. Yeah, I just think, too, as a female nerd, I've dealt with enough dudes like Andrew that I can clock a moist incel (laughs) in a dark arcade. And that is how I think of Andrew. (laughs) He is one moist incel. In a dark arcade. That's, God, you could write a mystery series with that (laughs) title. And then poor Amira is just talking about, that things didn't go according to plan. Some people on the internet are saying that they don't like her voice at all. I, As I've said before, I would listen to Amira read the phone book. I find it lovely. <laughs> Is it because she's literate? Well, yeah. Yeah. Or well-spoken. I guess these people want to hear Angela read the phone book or something like that. I don't know. She's talking about how things didn't go according to plan. And now he's already talking about her like going through some other country and doing this again. And it's like, girl, maybe God is trying to tell you something, as they say in The Color Purple. If it's this hard, maybe just don't. And we cut from Amira, who's like post-traumatic, to Andrew in Puerto Vallarta with his fucking bowl of shitty bullshit ice cream with two spoons. It was such a weird toggle back and forth, too, from Amira, who's like trying to figure out what the fuck she's going to do with her life and herself, to Andrew being like, I'm going to go touch the ocean. He is such an idiot. As Amira says... Basically, this is all on her. He's just living his life. He doesn't have to stop doing anything that he's doing. He's not making any changes. It's all on her to, like, do this weird travel, leave her life behind. Now she's got to deal with the fact that her dad hates her boyfriend. So how is that going to work? I do love that he picks her up from the airport and they get into one of the smallest cars I've ever seen. She had to put her feet out the window just to fit in there with her suitcase. But we we do learn the story of what happened to her in Mexico, which she says that she landed at 730 and was in the detention room by eight o'clock. And then at the end of her return flight, the flight crew handed her an envelope in which was the documentation from the Mexican authorities as to why she was turned away along with her passport. And when she read the paper that was in the envelope with her passport, it said that she was denied entry into Mexico because she was traveling without a passport. I'm going to put my thing down, flip it and reverse it for a second. I think the thing that most concerned me, even before she sat down with her father, was that even when she met up with her father, it wasn't about what she went through. It was about what her father went through. That was very telling to me. It's like, oh, you just essentially got out of jail, but it's all about like the hell you put your father through. 
there was no acknowledgement really of empathy on his end. Maybe that got edited out, but I found that to be very strange. I think he was just saying that he, as a parent, he was just saying that he, he seriously didn't, he didn't know where she was. He thought she had just disappeared. He was freaking out. He didn't hear from her for three days. I don't know, though. Maybe it takes one to know one. You know, maybe he can clock Andrew because he's kind of a a selfish wiener. Well, that's what I put. I I put maybe she's been conditioned to love self-centered men. Mm. Could be. I feel like everything Hamdi had to say about Andrew was correct, though, for a guy that's only had a brief Zoom. Zoom call with him. Do you remember that too, where Andrew was all like, hey, nice shirt. My favorite thing was at the end of the conversation where the father literally has his head in his hands and Andrew still hasn't hung up. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm still sorry, man. Oh. It's like, no, that's when you, you hang up quietly and like actually put some effort into finding your detained fiance. Oh, yeah. And Amira says that she never heard from Andrew as far as she knew. And as far as she knows, he didn't do anything to look for her, which as far as we know is also the case. Hamdi says that he has a bad feeling about Andrew and that he is a very selfish man. I think both of those are valid. But here's here's where all the red flags start flying from everywhere is when she starts talking about that he's saying that if she doesn't do this, that she doesn't love him. No one that really loves you will ever say something like that. And that's not to say that people won't ever say that to you. It just means to say that the people who say that to you don't love you. Yes, it means you should run away. Yes. From anyone that puts those sort of conditions. Yeah, that that kind of pressuring. If you love someone and they're saying, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing this, your response is like, okay, I don't want you to do things that make you feel uncomfortable. But yeah, if you're an incel sociopathic turd, you're like, well, if you love me, you do it. It doesn't really seem to really sink into Andrew that she was in a fucking cell for three days with no clock. They took her watch. They took her phone. It sounds like there was no window. So just in a room, no blanket, no toilet paper. Just her sharing a bunk with uh, Laura Prepon. Why is she even considering continuing this i think that's the biggest problem with amira is that she's not dumping andrew well that could mean that she's conditioned to put up with this sort of behavior it's sad but it's it's fucking true well let's go from samura to squim there's a lot of squim in this episode we're squimming it up we are squimming it up well because we don't have any um horny hazel and we don't have any apricot yeah quite frankly i'm fine with both totally cool yeah, I don't need to see hostage, Syed. We traded that for Squim. There's only so many shots of the interior of that apartment that you can take, you know? Yeah, I know what a shopping cart looks like. There's like Linda Perry in her steampunk hat, like playing guitar in the corner. It's like sad, sad, sad. Oh, I've got my own shopping cart, don't you? <laughs> Mine's right over here. It's from Bartel Drugs. I like to keep it local. So speaking of Bartel Drugs, yeah, let's go to Squim with Mike, Natalie, and Trish, who we finally get to meet. She gets out of the car, does that thing we all love that all parents seem to do where they complain about the travel. Oh, I hate that trip. I had to get on an airplane. She normally lives in Oklahoma, and she has the bangs to prove it. They go into the house where there's a bunch of just 
halting, awkward, teasing conversation that Natalie doesn't seem to comprehend at all. Did you catch the thing where it's like, she's made eye contact? She's made eye contact. It's yeah. time to hug. She's your fiance. She's not an ocelot. Yeah, I think he said, like, she's locked on. Wow. You know, she does have kind of lemurish eyes, though. It's all, like, really awkward. I think Natalie, too, maybe one of the reasons she repulses me is she's just profoundly insecure. So... Everything is just weird. I get it, though. Sarcasm and irony. Maybe it's hard to figure out when you don't speak the language. But mm-hmm. I hate when she just sits there and does that glazed, what is it, senpaku? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Natalie is all senpaku. Yeah. She's yeah. like the Ukrainian Audrina Patridge, honey. Yeah. So she just sort of stares off into space. It's like, you know, if you're uncomfortable too, you could you could put around the kitchen, make some drinks. I don't know. But she just sits there and stares into the, the middle space. And then Mike and his mom are kind of like, this is just how we talk to each other. This is our relationship. And they joke about being attacked by a bear and she doesn't get that. Oh, this is one of my favorite things that Natalie says too, where it's like, oh, God damn it, Natalie. You know, look in the fucking mirror once in a while where she's like, everyone's taking Michael's side. His mother, my mother, it's strange. Yeah, Natalie, if everyone else is telling you that something is occurring, maybe you should believe them. God, I, I wish um, I wish I could. I'm, I'm trying to find it. It's, Trish throws crazy shade, but I did not write what, what she said. It was in regards to the ring. Oh, I wrote it down. So she says, uh, she says something like, yes, I, I know have ring. I guess Michael keeping me guessing. And then Trish is like, well, when you gave him the ring back, were you keeping him guessing? Mm. This was the shady line. Not only does she throw it back in Natalie's face, Trish, but she uses her language against her. So she's like, when you gave him back the ring, were you making him guessing? Oh my god. Just the fact that she said, were you making him guessing? I'm like, girl, you're shady. You're shady. Trish is shady. So anyway, sorry about that. Um, yeah. Yes, Trish. Trish has some zingers. I'm I'm kind of here for it. You don't fuck with Trish. Trish knows what's up. She is a truth teller and a truth seer. And I think that that's another reason that Natalie is immediately profoundly intimidated by her because she's mm-hmm. she doesn't deal in bullshit. So she's not going to go for any of Natalie's stupid juvenile mind games. Natalie has all these weird, like, matters of course, like these rules in life. Like another thing, she's like, oh, you don't have fight when you have family. Like that somehow once you have a baby, once there's a child in the room, there can be no conflict, no disagreement. Everyone must be on the same page and on exactly the same trajectory. Life doesn't work that way. Are you sure? That sounds... I'm pretty sure that when people have kids, they do stop arguing. That's what's so dumb is it's like, actually, one of the best things you can do for your kids is argue in front of them in a mature, kind, adult way. You know, you can model for how to have a disagreement, how to coexist with someone who maybe doesn't share your religion or doesn't share your beliefs. All right, let's go to Belize with Stephanie and Ryan. She talks about how it's been an extremely hard trip because she had to, like, book a puddle jumper. She took many vehicles to get to Ryan, her 27-year-old fiancé. She walks past that sign that says wear a mask, and then she takes her mask off. But that mask also, too, it's a joke on on many levels, one of which is its efficacy as, like, any kind of prophylactic. It's wide open at the bottom. It's wide open at the top. It's just a flap of fabric with their faces on it, stuck on her face. It's like synthetic foreskin for your face. 
Yeah, I masks required. But the real question is, low, are you getting low on undies? Undies. Maybe love can conquer all. She's got so many presents for Ryan, who I think he says again would rather have the money. I just called it gross Christmas. I literally just wrote gross. Yeah, (laughs) because the way that she talks to Ryan, Ryan, I just spell it R-Y-U-H-N, is the same way I would talk to my kids when I get home from like the Carter store. Okay, you good on leggings? Like, you set on everything? You good on undies? You're getting low. I thought I'd get you some. So she shows up with, yeah, it's like Gift Parade. Like a dozen watches. Did you say Gift Parade? I sure shit did. I love that. I love that. Money can't buy taste. And when just the mismatching between like the ugly watches and the -the glow-in-the-dark condom and that do-rag and the... It's like, what is going on here? She has no taste. That's right, Candice Luann. Money can't buy you class. (laughs) This is a cross-pollinated... podcast i love it let's get to the glow in the dark condoms which they're going to use four times a night for at least six nights in a row they talk about how great ryan's stamina is and there's something about him specifically he's extraordinarily unattractive in that scene when he's talking about that i've never used glow in the dark condoms do you get a strobe light effect i love anything that glows in the dark you know nail polish figurines But I had never, the technology just wasn't there when I was in the condom part of my life. I don't want to think of them like using it because this is a, this is like what I call a mommy relationship. She's his mommy girlfriend. And it's just like, no, no. Well, let's just pretend for fun's sake then that it's like the wake me up before you go, go video. And it's some kind of rave on Ryan's wiener. You know, George Michael's not using condoms. I know what you mean anyway. And then she's going through his phone, which he was very prepared for. So it's weird because the guy that we're seeing in this is such a 180 from the dude that we saw in the last episode that was just like over it. I don't give a shit. I have a job. I don't need you. And he is like butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He takes the password off his phone so she can look at it anytime she wants. They go through there. He's identifying everybody with a possible female name. He's back in the game. He's in it to win it again. Well, he really put like extra like stars and enyes next to it wants to see what america looks like that's what i picked up on who is this guy he just said he didn't give a fuck about america last week it's pretty clear he's changed his mind i love that she gives him one of the the pile of watches too and she's like oh here's the snake one i know you lose a lot of things so please don't lose this yeah Mm -hmm. sean you think you think he loses a lot of things i'm sure they get very lost Mm -hmm. so lost they get lost and then they get exchanged for money so yeah weird gift parade and then we go back to moist incel andrew in puerto vallarta because you know he's there sean he's there he got the time off the least he can do is a little self-care he really needs healing do i have permission to just go into this one gates are open okay here we go oh back to mexico with this idiot and his unearned self-care and his sallow whale flesh but oh my god he is consumed with worry but don't worry he's covered work what the fuck does covered work mean he's a fucking story time wizard did he do a zoom meeting and read to the children and then when he gets Amira on FaceTime, it's like, it's basically like, I went to jail. What did you do? Oh, I went to a steakhouse. But don't worry, it feels empty. 
a little bit. Just his stupid smiling face. You just want to punch it repeatedly. And then when he gets into the countdown is real. What an asshole. We may have to do this all over again, meaning her. And then when it comes down to all that, when she speaks up for herself, he says, I'm an idiot, which is his way of dodging responsibilities for his own selfish wants and needs. God damn it. As far as we know, this is their first communication since she's been home. She's been home for like five minutes, and Mm -hmm. he's already starting in that the countdown is real, and they need to just do this whole thing all over again. I'm telling you, again, I need to get a DSM-4, but he's some kind of sociopath, psychopath something, because he just, you know, he's like, yeah, babe, that's too bad that happened to you. I'm really sorry, so we need to keep moving on, though. I don't think he sees her as a human with feelings. She's just an accessory to him. Truth. And she says, uh, he's vacationing, so there's no room for me to open up. That's fucking crushing. And she says, uh, it's like he doesn't really see what I'm going through. And it's like, no, honey. God, Amira, run. Julia, run. Everybody just get the fuck away from these gross, moist wieners. Yeah. All right, so back to Squim with Mike and Natalie, who are dining at what I can only surmise is a casino restaurant. Have you been there? No. Do you want to go there? <laughs> I mean... I mean, Trish says it's pretty cool. We should go. This place is pretty cool. There's slot machines, butter, but like cognition butter. Oh, let's talk about that mind butter. That mind butter. I love it that... um. I think Trish is just fucking with Natalie, which is the easiest oh, totally. thing in the world to do. Totally. I uh, Oh, I, I believe that 100%. If you were in her shoes and instantly Natalie starts lording over Mike, oh, I would, I would throw that in. I'd be like, eat the butter, bitch. If Mike was my son, I would fucking destroy Natalie. You know that I would. There would just be nothing left but contour and little curly bits of blonde hair by the time I was done. Oh, man. And here we go. What is she alarmed by now? Fucking red potatoes. She's so on guard about everything. Root beer, red potatoes, hard-headed, American colloquialisms, TV VCR repair. (laughs) Everything just, like, sets her off. She's exhausting. Yeah, she needs some mind butter. So, yeah, that's when uh, Mike goes to put some butter on his roll, and Natalie's like, Maybe no, no butter, Michael. And that's when Trish is like, butter's good for you. It's good for your mind. Oh, hell yeah. Team Trish. Oh, and we learn that Natalie still has not unpacked. So she's been given drawers, she's been given her own section of the stinky closet, and she's still got her shit in suitcases. There's no wedding date, no ring, and they kind of talk about it some more. And then she finally admits to Trish, to Trish, not to Mike, that maybe it wasn't cool of her to throw the ring at him. And that basically unlocks Mike. I feel like you just see him like open up and he's like, okay, that's, that's all he's wanted this whole time is for Natalie to just say, I'm sorry I threw the ring at you. That was fucked up. Mm -hmm. All of this could have been avoided with much to the chagrin of the Learning Channel producers. That's all Mike has wanted. And I don't think he's been obtuse about that. But is it too little too late? No. Mm. I mean, we know... We have the internet. We know what's going on with Mike and Natalie IRL right now. Do we? I don't. I try and stay in the dark. It's better that way. (laughs) Yes, yes. I've sent you the screenshots, the OnlyFans, the... Oh, 
the plastic surgery, the nudity. No, you can send me. You can send me Mike's OnlyFans. It's a freaking. Actually, I don't, Mike doesn't have one. I was looking at Andrew's Instagram. Mm. Oh. No. Yeah, I know. I had to go get a disinfectant wipe. L- love yourself, girl. I know. <laughs> I literally like clicked on it, and then I was like, "What am I doing? Ew, ew!" Like a like a full on Alicia Silverstone clueless. Like ew. Did you get the quote about the magic button? Yes, that was the next thing I was going to say. That uh, that Natalie thinks through. She's a magic button. But it was just the truth, girl. The truth was the magic button. Honey, that's not a magic button. That's It's called a prostate, girl. <laughs> oh, man. Up. Natalie's not going to peg anybody. No, definitely not. She doesn't have it in her. Her mom might. Well, Nelia likes to party. If you put on some Donna Summer and like give her like a twin set of pearls, I bet I bet she'll she's game for anything. So Trish and her bangs pretty much are just like, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> I don't, she's like, I don't want to see him get hurt no more. I think that Trish is uh, aware enough to know that, like, she's got to just kind of wait it out. What I like about her is when uh, Natalie throws the bait out there about, like, what do you think about Mike not eating meat? Mm. And, and mom doesn't take it. She's like, basically, he's a grown man. It's his decision. Yes. Trish is pretty cool. What I like about Trish is that, yeah, Natalie keeps trying to play these games and do these shenanigans, and Trish shuts it down immediately every time. Yeah. Trish is like the perfect antidote for Natalie. And then I think next time we'll find out that Trish has done some sort of like horrible like human rights violation or something like that. So I'll I'll, the, I'll have to eat all of my words about how much I like her. But yeah, Trish for, for is now, probably a flaming racist Trump supporter, QAnon. See, let's just stay in the dark. Yeah. Let's let's just whistle in the dark. I have people with Trish hair. I've seen those bangs. I think, you know, that's why they connected with me so profoundly because it was like, oh. And what's weird too is as a stylist, it's like, that's a that's a styling choice. Those bangs are cut just like mine. And that's what kind of killed me too, is I was like, oh, I'm totally making fun of Trish's hair, but we basically have the same hairdo right now. So yeah, let's go back to the sad sex farm. In Dinwiddie with Julia and Brandon, Julia has this great line, I'm tired to go sneak in a room like a baby. Yeah. I know it's hard when you're a baby and you want to fuck, right? The only thing I wrote in regards to this was in all caps, go Julia. Yeah, run Julia, run. She, I think, is the highlight of this series, if only because, not because of what she's going through, but because... Like, she actually puts it into words and says it. Whether or not she's heard is extremely debatable. But at least she's screaming out loud for someone to see her, and it's just not happening. And bless her heart for continuing to try to express herself, even though every time she does, she gets gaslit. She gets told that she's wrong, that she's expecting too much. The internet is all nasty about how she's being another, like, persnickety Russian girl, which it's like, no, no, no one deserves what Julia is going through. So she she gets off the phone with her dad, and I think she's finally just like, fuck this shit, I'm calling him at work. So she calls Brandon, and that's when we get the phone conversation that, I don't know about you, but it made me want to throw something through a window. Because she's like, I'm I'm tired of, you know, the poop everywhere, and da 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 and she's like, I didn't agree to this. And Brandon says, 
I don't understand your phobia of animals. Like, I don't understand what's wrong with taking care of a handful of cute little animals. It's just how dismissive and it's like mansplaining. Oh, just what's wrong with taking care of cute little animals? It's like, you fucking asshole. When he was saying that, that's when I think I wrote the line about him being a a George W. Bush ventriloquist dummy with, with Betty's hand just straight up his ass. Because I feel like those words were said with Betty's intonation. I think that's what's been drilled into him by Betty of like, what's wrong Mm. with taking care of a few cute little animals? None of that is true. There is not a few of them and they are not cute. This is an animal horde that these people engaged in. It is their responsibility and it's just very bizarre and it is highly questionable. They're hungry too. God. They're super hungry. Then we go back to Belize with Stephanie and Ryan. Do you believe in life after love? I'm trying. <laughs> I don't get the whole giant watch thing. It's like a flave of flave moment. And her dress, like made out of tapestry tassels, like she she looks like a like a Ethan Allen drapery from 1988. <laughs> but he's like, oh yeah, Sexy. he's all into it. And then she's like dressing him too, and it's like, oh god. And then they start talking to each other like a couple of octogenarians, where it's like deer and honey and. He's playing a game. He's running a con. He's running a con, and I think she's out of it. Because just like hearing her talk, like there's, there is like a little Anna Nicole type thing happening. Like, I'm going to have a margarita on the rocks with salt. I feel like pills. The only real question is which kind and how many. She is kind of half-lidded, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's the Botox. It's not no. just because she can't open her eyes all the way. She's medicated. But whatever you do, don't spill your margarita on her tacky purse. She's talking about how coronavirus ruined my relationship with Ryan. Uh, You know, it also killed a few hundred thousand people. But yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) Oh, she totally wasn't prompted to talk about it. The producers didn't say talk about COVID. It was totally natural her just bringing it up. Just her being her anti-masker self. This whole thing where people view coronavirus as a personal attack like it's only happening to them and i just don't like looking at her face well neither does she maybe that's why she keeps fucking with it yeah probably and this is the scene also where she gives him the ring so that he can propose to her (laughs) and now it's in your hands now Uh. it's in your fingers (laughs) i like that we're both working on our stephanie's I think we've both got we've got different approaches, but we're both coming pretty close. We're just coming at it from different directions. Yeah, we're both circling the drain in our own way. <laughs> well, let's circle that drain right down back to squim. More, we're squimming it up. Squimming it up. So they talk about the date, and in true Natalie fashion, she rejects the first day that he throws out, kind of out of hand, and she gets all numerological about it. She's already more of a psychic tarot card reader than Stephanie's friend. That's true. 22 and the two, the two is a no. It's a, has to be the first of the month when the moon is waxing and waning and the Cocteau twins and you got a number three. It's got to be number three. I like the number three. They don't have to get married in a church because Mike's not baptized, so it wouldn't be real anyway. So they're talking about having a little ceremony next to the Blue Lagoon. And then right at that moment, right after they've just they've picked their date of April 3rd, Nelia calls. So she's over the moon. They keep cutting back to Trish. This was my Trish quote from the segment. Mm hmm. That's it. Did you also catch on 
I think Natalie mentioned something about how they're going to work to get Natalie's mom and her friends over to America. For the wedding. For the Oh, for the wedding. Okay, yeah. not like a – okay. Yeah, so that's the whole thing too. I think we talked about it last week where Natalie kind of – she does have a point where she wants the wedding date to be nailed down because it's going to take her mom and her relatives a minute to get their visas and all their stuff in a row so that they can come over Mm-hmm. This looks like it's maybe in like February. We didn't get a date with Mike and Natalie. So yeah, I'm guessing that didn't happen because of Corona. Trish's not someone who's real gleeful ever. That's just not her. She's not from that stock. I bet she could be. It's just like, this is not really a scenario that's worthy of glee. I, I mean, she's probably very happy to see her son, but she's digesting it. There's a lot for her to go through. So I don't doubt that she has the capability of being a, a happy person, but it's just a bizarre scenario. She's watching her son just have a slow motion car crash. Yeah, after he already had one. That's yeah. gotta be hard. So then they get off the phone with Nelia and Natalie just completely breaks down. And I just wrote, good Lord, she's all over the place. And I'm just sitting there just watching it just like, ew, whatever. You know, I'm I'm usually a reflexive crier. Like if I see someone cry on TV, I will start to cry. But with this, it was just like, oh, fuck you, you're stinky mess. Well, I think that's part of the problem with this show is just like with all of these people that I have no empathy or feeling for, a lot of them are describing some pretty horrific shit about their lives or just like real struggles. And I just don't care. Yeah. It's like, oh, good. More time with her sobbing. So much of it too is like elective and many of them too, they've chosen to do this like weird, difficult thing. And then they also like feel the need to keep adding layers of difficulty onto it. And then it becomes their defining personality characteristic. Like with the apricot, that's who she is. She's apricot with her 27-year-old Tunisian lover and, oh, and he's coming and. Oh, oh. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so speaking of jizz everywhere, let's go hang out with Yara and Jovi again. So talk about not fun. At least with Mike and Natalie, I get the, the enjoyment from watching Mike, watching the shit that Natalie throws at Mike just sort of roll off of him. But with Yara and Jovi, there's nothing fun here. Whenever I see Yara on the screen, all I can think is stop talking, stop mm-hmm. talking, stop talking. That's the thing. She talks about some, you know, she constantly brings up this... What is it? Albanian miscarriage? Yeah. And it sounds horrific, but it's like they're both garbage people. I just don't care. Just shut up. This is actually a a great scene because now um, Jovi is back and she finally has a a reason to exist or something. She's going to go pick him up and she's going to give him the good news. And he walks up to her and it is, I believe, 8.50 in the morning. And he has a Jack and Coke sloshing in one hand and his luggage in the other. Because, you know, yeah, at the airport... So I don't feel like it's debatable that Jovi's an alcoholic. I think it's just a personality trait. But then other people say that's that's just Louisiana culture. And I get it. He's just come off this long work trip. He's got to go home and deal with Yara. He needs a drink. But the fact that he's like carrying this sloshing thing, like kind of precariously while he's got his luggage and all this shit, it's like, you're doing this to the point of inconvenience. This isn't about relaxation and enjoyment. This is like... I can't function without this because we've now seen him crack open a white claw first thing in the morning, a beer. Like if this is just how he starts his day. He's not trying to hide it either. Cause he easily could have like downed that and then gone down the escalator and met yeah. her. You know? And that's what I was thinking too. But at the same time, it's like, 
but it's that thing of like, well, no, I don't have a problem. This isn't a problem. I'm doing it right in front of you. I think he's just an alcoholic. Yeah. It's not like a judgment. It's just the sky is blue. Water is wet. Jovi's an alcoholic. And Yara is annoying. (laughs) Well, she's she's horrible and she's a waste of hair, but she understandably is having doubts about having a baby with a drunk. And we have yet to really see Jovi without alcohol going into his mouth. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. I think the only time we've seen it is um, at that furniture store with Lacquer. Where Where is she these days? We miss her. Come back. I don't know. Maybe she needs Stephanie to get her some new underpants. Don't you dare talk to her that way. <laughs> this is my moment. Um, but hey, you know what? He's drinking that thing. But then you know what he has to do? He's got a jerp a wee. Jerp a wee, Jovi. Jerp a wee. Jerp a wee, Jovi. As he's going over to the garbage can, too, he's like, <laughs> like trying to check yeah, as much as it. Hmm. So, yeah, that's no, no alcoholism there. That's a I little mean, telling. I think that's what I was trying to convey is it's like, I get off an airplane. I just want to get my shit and I want to get out of the airport. And you know, too, that he he was having cocktails on the flight the whole time. I don't want to stop and pick up a cocktail and then carry that sloshing cocktail with me through the airport while I like gather my luggage and shit. It's not happy fun times. So let's go have some happy fun times at Sad Green Acres in Dinwiddie where Brandon's saving money for him and Julia's future. I'm trying really hard to make her happy. No, you're not, you piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Could you suck anymore? No, you could not. Yeah, I literally typed out, no, you're not, in all caps. Mm-hmm. In addition to what I told you earlier, I hate every word that comes out of his stupid mouth. As Julia says, I hate all place here. Yeah, and then Brandon, again, gaslighting, says, oh, it's not as hard as you're making it out to be. Why is it so hard taking care of a few cute little animals? Now that you've said that, I do think that either one of his parents has obviously told him that line multiple times and he's just regurge yep. the whole bit. He needs to marry his parents. Oh my God, could you imagine Brandon and Betty and Ron getting married? That would be so cute. Oh my Gross. God. Like a goat could walk down the aisle with a pillow on its back. Oh my god, How, what an honor to marry your parents. I think, actually, though, to Betty and Ron's credit, what I envision, what they want for their son, is for them all to just keep doing what they're doing until they all just die. Betty and Ron want Brandon single and 75, shoveling shit on that farm and changing their diapers. They, at least they're not pressuring him for grandbabies. It's the opposite, right? They don't want anything that's going to reduce their workforce. And a baby would be another cute animal to take care of that would have to compete with the fucking bearded dragon and the pugs in the cage. So can you imagine just throwing an infant on that pile of creatures? Next to the cricket trash can? The baby got into the crickets again. Gross. (laughs) Get that out of your mouth. Uh, So Julia, still good with her boundaries, says, you need to leave or I leave. You choose. I have many moments where Julia says something where I like fist pump into the air like, yes, Julia. But Brandon suddenly is like, you're right. I'm going to be the man you want me to be. At least in this very moment. Because as we see in the rushes for the next episode, his walls come tumbling down pretty fast. Yeah, they're made out of toilet paper tubes. So he's got to be the man she wants him to be because he doesn't know who the fuck he is. Right now, he's the man that Betty and Ron want him to be. Who is he? There is no Brandon. Brandon, who are you? Come out and play, Brandon. 
get in the hot tub, the water's nice and cloudy. <laughs> you refer to that hot tub as egg drop soup, and I've never stopped thinking about that. I stole that from Kathy Griffin. She was talking about how she did a, a gay cruise, a carnival cruise, and how she would refuse to get in the hot tub because it looked like egg drop soup. <laughs> oh, God. It's for therapy, not entertainment. <laughs> Not entertainment. That'd be a great t-shirt. Therapy, not entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Stop laughing. So we get our next ombrage, and to this point, I am excited for next Sunday to see Ron and Betty just completely explode in a public restaurant. So, yes, next on barrage, Yara breaks the news to Jovi. He counters by accusing her that it's a hoax. Which is abhorrent, and I love it. It's horrible, but it's also what they both deserve. Exactly. Which just reinforces that he is the man that will abandon you in Albanian hospital. Mike can't pull the trigger. We get the return of Melanie, Apricot's old private investigator boss with Syed and, and Apricot. We've got Amira, who for some reason is afraid to lose Andrew. It's, it's a psychological thing at this point. He's yeah. just... Ugh, ugh. I think Amira is in love with love. She has talked before about how she loves romance. She thinks about romance. So in her own weird way, this isn't really about Andrew either. This is about fighting for love. So I think she's wrapped up on that whole trip. Because I'll tell you, once you get a moist incel stuck to you, they can be kind of hard to remove. So if she's got a chance to lose Andrew, I think she should take it. We've got Hazel talking about how she wants some puss and what flavor she wants. But it has to be someone that she picks because she doesn't want to get jealous. Yeah, someone who doesn't speak Thai. This whole week, too, I've had that, like, girls, girls, all kind of girls. Black, white, Puerto Rican, Chinese girls. Girls from Thailand. Girls who speak Thai. (laughs) (laughs) Girls who look Thai. (laughs) Girls wearing a Thai. Then we get that lovely snippet of the Ron and Betty freak out. And we've got... Stephanie finally telling Ryan about Harris. And it looks like it happens in bed, too. The glimpses that we got of Ryan before, I was like, oh, you know, yeah, he looks kind of good looking. And uh, no, nope, no, he just kind of looks like, yeah, a couple pieces of gum with some lint stuck to it. Oh, cousin Harris does? No, Ryan. Oh, okay. I was, I was sorry. I'm, my listening comprehension failed me at that moment. I was like, oh, God, you, you wash your mouth. You wash your damn dirty mouth. Um, no, you need to you need to clock Ryan's um, French tips. Th- them's them's freaky nails. I can't. No. Yikes! Wow. Like, what is he doing at that hotel? Is he like doing groundskeeping with his Edward Scissorhands moment? <laughs> Just like, what's he doing? Maybe that's how Stephanie likes them. Maybe he went and got a fresh set before she showed up. You didn't finish reading that police report. He tried to slit his ex girlfriend's throat with his with his pinky nail. <laughs> was the, did he use his fingernails nail. for that? Oh my god! Yeah. Or what was it that they said on RuPaul? Like, I've got acrylics for the feel of a woman. It's the French tip of the iceberg. Maybe it's um. So he's more like a kitty cat. Cuckoo tur tur rai rai. Yeah. Uh, that's, prob- that's probably right on. So when he's using his litter box, he can bury it better. When he's licking up his milk. Okay, this is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm debarking. <laughs> okay, well... This ride is over. <laughs> I, I think we've gotten to a good place to introduce a Scotty Bowers passage. Are we ready? Edith Piaf was 40 years old when she first came to American shores in an attempt to repeat her phenomenal success in Europe as a cultural icon singing French ballads. 
Her songs had an earthiness, a sandpaper-like edge to them because they were rendered in her wonderfully raspy, tobacco-hearted voice. I loved the gravelly way she spoke and how she rolled those R's off the back of her tongue and throat. She spent the war years singing in nightclubs in German-occupied France. In 1946, she made the haunting La Vie en Rose her signature number, but she is also remembered for other marvelous titles that include Non, Je ne regrette rien, In à la mort, and La Poule. Many still regard her as France's greatest popular singer. The way I met her was quite interesting. My friend Alex Tears, the guy who jerked me off in the park while I was sleeping, had a wealthy cousin by the name of Cornelius Neil Tears. Neil's hometown was New York. He had inherited a family fortune and spent his life playing and partying. When war broke out, just for the hell of it, he bought his way into the French Foreign Legion and traveled with them in North Africa. When he had had enough of war, he simply fought his way out of the Legion. However, while he was serving with them in Paris, he met Neil Kiev at a nightclub and was sent by her, though it never developed into anything more than a platonic friendship. Neil had a house on Coldwater Canyon in Beverly Hills, and I often stayed there when he went to New York, usually with someone I was tricking. When Edith was signed to come out to California and sing at the exclusive Macombo nightclub, it was arranged that she would stay at Neil's home. Because Neil was away, I spent a lot of time there. And so Edith and I met, and she hit it off and began a nice, sexual relationship. The Macombo was a Hollywood landmark. It was a wildly popular Brazilian youth venue located at 8588 Sunset Boulevard. Owners Charlie Morrison and Felix Young had lavished a lot of time, money, and attention on it. They created a unique interior at the club including that included glassed-in aviaries holding live macaws and cockatoos. Awesome. It was a perfect venue for Edith, and she was signed to play there for a month. Edith was a sweet, dark-eyed, dark-haired, short little thing who wasn't exactly pretty, but she had an interesting face. I thought she was sexy as hell, but she was a sad person who seemed to be on the verge of tears all the time. During sex, she would say sing-songy things in French, purring a low, sugary kind of way. We had sex nearly every night for the four weeks she was out there. Oh. Well, it's nice to get a reminder at the end of this that people weren't always gross and boring. They used to be gross and interesting. Who are they going to do on Snatch Game in 40 years? Well, thanks for joining us once again for another episode of this fucking show. Um, I think we only have like five left. The Learning Channel's This Fucking Show. I I know, my resolve is is wavering. I, I, I said in the Facebook group the other day that I just wanted to go back to talking about serial killers again because it was less demoralizing. So, we'll see. You we'll understand see. more. They have, they have a slight degree more empathy than some of these people. Yeah, they're more human. But anyway, we'll see you next time. Cuckoo turtur. Bye-bye.